Alright, Dee, I'm going to list off. It's actually quite a long list, so just be ready for this, alright? So, our guest today is one of the most loved footballers of all time, one of the greatest to come out of Tigerland. He's an AFL Hall of Famer, 13-time Richmond leading goal kicker, slotting 800 over the journey. Three-time All-Australian, Richmond of the Century and Jack Dyer medalist. These days you hear his special comments for both Channel 7 and 3AW. He's an AFL legend and Richmond's favourite son, Matthew Richardson. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. Great to be here. Oh, mate, we're stoked to have you. We were just saying before, it's 26 days since the grand final. Does your life change almost a day after? Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, working in the AFL industry, it is, you know, it's pretty all-consuming yeah. while the season's on. And then when it finishes, it, it sort of, you go from everything to nothing sort yeah. of thing. But uh, look, I've still got a few little things going on, but I quite enjoy having a few months sort of off at the end of yeah. the season because I guess during the year, you know, you're working... You know, sometimes three games a weekend, sometimes even four now yeah. with the draw, you know, Thursday night games. Mm. So, you know, you're, you're away from home a little bit. You're, you're working at night. Uh, you never see your friends on a weekend or your family. Yeah. So when you get to the end of the season, you need to start reconnecting yeah. with people. Yeah, So, yeah, it's good to sort of have a deep breath at the end of the season and, and get to know your friends and your family. Yeah, again. how good's that? Well, but don't, I'm not complaining. I'm, yeah. I always yeah. say this. Very, very lucky to be working in the AFL industry, particularly 13 years after I finished playing. Yeah. If you had told me that when I retired, I wouldn't have believed you. Wow. So, yeah, I'm that's, very lucky. That's a long time. Actually, we were talking about this. We went and got a coffee this morning. We we're like, what can we ask for a chat, you know? And we were speaking on that. So the whole interstate thing, like, do you still go interstate quite a lot as well? Yeah, we didn't go quite as much this year. I, I don't think there was any particular reason behind that. I think it was just the fact that a lot of the Friday night games, which is the games that I work on predominantly, just seem to be in Melbourne. There wasn't as many Friday night games interstate. And that probably means that the West Coast Eagles, for example, didn't have a good years mm. they probably didn't cop the friday night games they may yeah. have got in the past so we didn't go to perth very often um went up to brisbane a few times sydney um but didn't travel quite as much uh, i do radio on sunday afternoon and radio was done from the studio we okay did, yeah we didn't travel for radio and that that came about obviously because of the pandemic and yeah. i think they probably just realized that hey they can save some some funds you know of not course. traveling so tv you have to be there though i think you have yeah. to be there at the ground whereas probably with radio a little bit more you can maybe get away with it a little bit yeah. not being there but yeah it was good to be back at the grounds live for yeah. every game it was pretty tough from the studio during COVID. I, bet. Well, I was going to ask how do you find that even i know you mentioned on the sunday afternoon with the radio yeah. but how do you even find bringing the atmosphere to all us listening yeah when yeah you're in a studio it was weird i remember, I remember the first night that we did it uh, from the studio down in south melbourne right at the start of the pandemic i'm like how are we going to manufacture this enthusiasm right yeah. from a studio so they, they did pipe a bit of crowd noise through <laughs> they, you know for uh, you guys well just yeah. and for people at yeah. home just yeah. to try and create that yeah. atmosphere it was tough look the hardest thing i found with doing that was the fact that i think some of the callers didn't mind it so much of course they'd rather be at the ground yeah but they're they're often calling just from what you see on the yeah. screen right Whereas the, the role I play, whether I'm on the boundary or, or up in special comments, quite often you're looking down to the back line or up to the forward line to try and see what's happening. You can't see that on the TV screen. So mm. I felt like you probably couldn't do your job as well as you wanted to. But in saying that, we were still working when a lot of people weren't. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not complaining. So with the off-season now, you've got the three young ones. 
and you love your music. Are you getting away? What's the yeah. what's the word? The routine look like? The routine, yeah. Look, I guess with three young ones under five, it's actually harder going on a holiday than <laughs> staying yeah. at home because you've got to pack <laughs> that much stuff up. Oh. Right? It's like an ordeal getting out the door yeah, with three The girls. list with just bikes, the scooters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know. you think of all the stuff you've got to take. So uh, no big holidays planned. A few little weekends here and there. Head down to Lawn this nice. weekend and... Uh, my wife's family's got a place up in Queensland in Burley Head, so Lovely. we'll get up there at some stage. But just giving the wife a chop out with the kids, <laughs> which time. I haven't been able to do as much during the footy season. Well, and she'll appreciate that. Yeah, she will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she will. So, yeah, just enjoy hanging out with them. Uh, yeah, as you said, getting to some some music, catching up with friends, just doing yeah. normal stuff. You know, when, when do you normally catch up with friends? On a weekend, right? Yeah. Mm. So during the footy season... We miss, I miss all of the social events that we get invited yeah. to. Weddings and everything? Yeah, everything, yeah. you know. So, you know, quite often Jen is going on her own to things. So, mm. yeah, just be good to do that. Heading uh, to watch a band called Idols at the Forum uh, on Melbourne Cup Nights. I'm looking forward to that. What but, genre yeah. is that, Richo? Uh, well, you'd probably call it sort of a, a, a sort of, it's punk, modern type punk, I guess you yeah. would say it is. Yeah. Yeah. Doss actually said in the car, we were actually, it's, this is going to sound ridiculous to you, but we we're actually guessing, sometimes we guess what our guests are going to wear. I know that sounds <laughs> ridiculous. And Doss said, I reckon it's going to be a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. That's what he <laughs> predicted. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> I don't mind the Gunners. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought, oh, Richo loves his tunes. So yeah. Maybe a Gunners. I'll see they're coming back to Melbourne pretty soon, actually. They're so. playing at the G, so. Yeah. Yeah, big show. But yeah, love my music, so get out to as many gigs as we can. Yeah. We kind of said to you off air, we like to jump around a little bit. We don't follow a formula. But talking a little bit about the off-season, we're actually really interested to hear the player's side of things. So in your time playing, did you ever get poached? And that's something we've yeah. heard a lot from. So we've heard recently Nick Rewalt talk about it, Matthew Lloyd talk about it, like these one or two-year deals at the end of their career to chase a premiership. Yeah. Did you ever have those offers thrown at you or in the Lord to, you know, chase a premiership rather than be the one club player yeah look i did have you know a number of clubs over the journey sort of you know knocked on your door and asked yeah. where you were at look I, I guess the first sort of seven or eight years of my career i never got out of contract you know mm. i always re-signed with okay. a year to go so no clubs you know potentially sort of in that period but i remember the first club that probably had a pretty decent crack was Fremantle at one point i okay. think it was around 99 2000 yeah uh we never really went down the track of entertaining that you know, I knew there was an offer there if I wanted to have a look at it, but I was pretty happy at Richmond, so yeah. that didn't go anywhere. Uh, I once went and spoke to Dennis Pagan when he was coaching Carlton okay. um, about the potentially, you know, crossing over there. I, I probably knew that I was never going to do it, but mm. out of respect for Dennis, one of the yeah. great coaches of all time, I, I went and had a chat to him, and, and when Peter Schwab was at Hawthorne, I think it was around sort of 2002, 2003, a brief phone call with him at one point, but it, it never got any further than that. Yeah. Uh, and I think the reason being, I could, uh, being a Richmond person, my dad played there yeah. and a Richmond supporter from, you know, as early as I can remember, I just saw, the thing in my mind was what if I left and they, you know, something mm, happened the yeah. next year. And that was the thing that kept me there. And I guess you could say, we saw that recently with like Brett, with what happened with Brett Deledio. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he went to the Giants, probably thinking I'm more chance of playing in finals mm. at the Giants. I mean, Richmond had a poor year in 2016, and and then Richmond, you know, win the premiership the next year, and that's what I was always scared of. Yeah, I, I, I probably probably didn't think it was going to happen, but I thought, what if it did? Yeah. So that 
and I always wanted to be a one club player as yeah. well. Yeah. But never went down the track of really even talking contracts with clubs. It was an initial conversation and then uh, can't do it. Fair enough. Well, to create Richmond to be a um, destination club, I'm sure you would have been the person that, you know, if they were trying to get players in, hey, Richo, can you give them a buzz? You know, what, what, yeah. what did you do to get Nathan Brown over the line or these players that came across from other clubs? Was that something that was put to you? Uh, yeah, I've, I mean... Whenever there was a big name discussion, I remember at one point, you know, Jeff White, when he was a young player, he was discussed to, to come to Richmond. So I remember that being one player. Yeah, we when Brownie was coming across, you know, they got us all together. Kane yeah. Johnson, yeah. when Kane came from Adelaide, I remember catching up with Kane and having a coffee and just, you know, talking to him about coming to Tigerland. Look, I, I think back then it, it wasn't the destination club that it is now. Mm. You know, we did have some issues. You know, we probably weren't aligned as we should have been off the field and on the field, um, you know, coaches changing regularly and all that sort of thing. But probably in the last 10 years, with the stability that Richmond's had with their board and with their leadership uh, under mm. Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill uh, and the premiership success, they really are now. I mean, mm. you talk to a player and say, hey, come and come to Richmond, you know you're going to be playing at the MCG in front yeah. of 80,000 people regularly. Yeah, uh, It's a pretty big carrot to sort of dangle. So we've seen that over this trade period yeah. with with Hopper and Taranto, so... 100%. Well, yeah. we're, like, we're just fascinated because of the legalities. Well, well, I'll firstly put this, Richo. This is a man who didn't like footy for a couple of years because of probably the position the Saints were in. <laughs> right. Since Trade Radio comes... That happens. So, <laughs> that happens. When, when, oh, when trade, trade Radio comes on, this man's just glued to it. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is these well, days, we've been, aren't they? We've been working in the footy space a bit more this year, so yeah. I've gone back and I've fallen in love with it. I think I wasn't playing for a while. I started yeah. playing again and I was more interested in just playing in the AFL, but... You know it's a strategic plan by the AFL to keep everyone talking course, about AFL course, yeah. for the whole season. Smart. So the season finishes with that, then we have the finals, then we go straight into the trade. Now we'll have the AFLW finals and the draft. Yeah. So that'll get us up to close to Christmas time. Yeah. And then, you know, after Christmas we start talking about you know, pra practice matches and who's going to win yeah. what, and then we're into the season again. True. So it's just keeping the AFL in the news 24-7. Not great for us A-League lovers. Uh, you know, we, we, <laughs> don't, don't put me in that category. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. I mean, that's what it's all about, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Well, that's probably another interesting place to go then. So a little bit about off-season. I've heard players speak lately about shortening the preseason. Mm. What are your thoughts on that as you know, an ex-player and, and the length of it? Yeah, look, I guess when I first started, you just want to keep playing and play as many games as possible. So it was never an issue with me while I was young. But when I got probably into the last four or five years of my career, the last third of my career, I could definitely see why I didn't want to play many practice matches. Yeah, yeah. One, you don't want to get injured. Yeah. And I just – your fitness base and your knowledge of the game is there. You probably only need an intra-club and one other game to tune up, right? Because okay. you've done that much match simulation at training anyway. Yeah. I mean, the guys train, you know, every day and, and work on what they're doing every day. So, look, if uh, I would probably be a fan of even extending the season by a couple of games and having yeah. no practice matches, mm. right? And I'm sure the TV networks would be happy with that, more games to broadcast. So, yeah, definitely a fan of probably less practice matches. Do you think the players would welcome that? Uh, well, they're playing them anyway, aren't yeah. they? So okay. you must well be playing for premiership points. Yeah. If, you're just as much chance of getting injured in a, a practice match yeah. as you are a normal game. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and then we might get rid of a bit of the inequality in the draw, I guess, you know, yeah. with the, if you're nearly playing each other, you know, a couple more times or twice or whatever. So, yeah, I can see see some merit in that. How did, how did you see the end of this season? Like, I mean, we don't want to look back too far down memory lane, but 
the grand final, you, you obviously would have been a part of that broadcast. It yes. was Geelong were just unbelievable. Yeah, I, I've seen a few games over pretty quickly in my time broadcasting, and one of them unfortunately involved Richmond when they played an elimination final mm. against Port Adelaide. Oh, you know that day? Yeah, I'll never forget. I mean, that game was. was done in five minutes. You yeah. just knew that Port weren't losing it. But I think this Graham – look, Sydney hung in there for the first sort of 15 minutes, but they never – they never look yeah. like they were mm. going to have any control of the game. Uh, that's just a complete win, as you'll see, yeah. by the Cats. I'm not surprised because I think they all—they obviously knew Joel Selwood was retiring. They wanted to go out on top and, and send him off in a blaze of glory, which they did. And, and just the way they played the last three, four months of the year, they just mm. they timed their run perfectly. Yeah. They were able to rest danger and guys like this. Some of the older guys got a rest here and there. Joel missed some games. And they just timed their run perfectly. They changed their style of play, which... This year, which they just a yeah. big difference. I yeah. thought they just were more attacking and yeah. brought in some players that just had a phenomenal impact. I mean, who would have thought Tyson Stengel would kick fifty goals? You yeah, know? all Australian. Yeah, they yeah. added a bit of pace with Max Holmes. Unfortunately, he missed the granny, but he was great. Close was great. They added mm. that little bit of leg speed. And yeah, they were but uh, look, probably from a neutral point of view, it it was a disappointing way to end the year yeah. because the final series had been pretty good. It was up so good, yeah, them, wasn't it? Yeah. But they deserved it, the Cats. I mean, clearly I thought for, for the last sort of, you know, last three months they just looked like they weren't going to lose. It's probably the first grand final I've ever not watched. We had the <laughs> lovely Garni behind the camera. It was her sister's wedding up in Queensland and I was – I couldn't watch it. I there. couldn't watch it. And I thought, you're kidding me. The first ever grand final I'm going to miss. Did, and you, I, che- did you check the I checked the scores. the scores and by the time I checked the scores I thought, you know what, if I'm going to miss one, no, no offence to Sydney, but I was like – I haven't missed too much. You didn't miss much. Yeah. No. <laughs> Unless you're a Geelong fan. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Well, how do you go grand final day now? Like, I know it's obviously a fair few years since you've retired, but obviously we saw 2017 and what it meant to you. Now, just even in the neutral game, do you still feel that burn inside you that you want to be part of it? Just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just being out and I, I mean, I've been on the boundary line for a lot of those grand finals and I've been in the media 13 years. I think I've probably covered at least... 10 or 11 of those in, in my time being yeah. involved in the broadcast. Yeah. yeah, you still stand there when the national anthem and, and when the teams are lined up and you can feel the hairs, you know, yeah. up on the back of the neck and just the tingling that yeah. you get. I mean, I mean, it's the ultimate and you just the, – the MCG when there's 100,000 people there and, yeah, you pinch yourself that you, you're involved in it. That's mm. for sure. Very lucky. Oh, well, we went to a final earlier this year and it was the, that feeling, just amazing. Yeah. You get there and you hear the national anthem – my eyes water. Uh, the t- you know, it's just it, – I can't imagine being a player. What Like, what was that like? You played in a couple of finals. What is it like playing in a final? Well, it, it's just, well, it, the intensity does go up. You notice that straight away. But the adrenaline in your in your body it goes up as well. Yeah. You know, I think the, the crowd brings you into the game and gets your adrenaline up even more. Oh, I only played in one final series and uh, one winning final against Carlton at the MCG, but it was the best day of my footy career. You yeah. know, Richmond and Carlton – Arch rivals playing at the MCG and getting a win. Um, yeah, that 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 is a day that I'll never forget. My most favourite memory from playing was yeah. was that game. Really? So then we had to fly up to Brisbane the next week and cop them, and we yeah. know it. Then when they went on to win three premierships in a row, but yeah, look, I think the biggest thing you notice in a final is just just the pace and the intensity of the yeah. game that just goes up another probably 10, 20%, I guess. Mm. Is it similar to playing like for Richmond, playing every time Collingwood come to town or Carlton and you're up against those teams? Is it a similar feeling or does the atmosphere still lift again and again and again? Probably asking the wrong bloke about yeah. finals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've only played in three. Yeah, yeah. 
What yeah, about, oh, actually, are I, you a Saints man? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Rich, I could talk to you about my South Mornington footy club days where we won the Tigers. We won a three. You know piece, who you so. should get on if you want to talk about finals is Joel Selwood. I oh, mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, he's played in what, 40 finals. Yeah, yeah that's just oh, incredible. Yeah. That's just insane. Back to the commentary for a little bit. We, we often sit down, we watch the footy, and you often hear a biased commentator here and there. Yeah. Is it hard to not be biased? Yeah, it is. And you can't – one thing you shouldn't do, particularly for me when I'm doing a Richmond game, is just don't look at Twitter, right? Because you, <laughs> oh, yeah. we know you get feedback on Twitter, yeah. right? Yeah, So I often get Richmond supporters having a crack at me on Twitter saying, why are you, why are you going the reverse bias against really? Richmond? You're overcompensating because you don't want people to think that you're biased towards Richmond. Mm. You're too hard on Richmond. Yeah. And then I'll flick down a couple more tweets and it'll be the supporters of the other team that I'm commentating and they'll be saying Richardson's a disgrace, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be commentating yeah. on Richmond games. So I'm like, which one is it? Is oh. it am I, so it's, it's, it is tough. Look, I, I think I do find myself in a Richmond game probably a little bit trying not to, yeah. to pump things up yeah. too much. Whereas if the opposition do, I prob- maybe I do do that because mm. I'm trying to compensate because I don't want you well, – you, doggies. doggies, man. Yeah. I don't want you as a Dogs fan thinking I'm biased towards Richmond or, yeah. or vice versa. So Well, there is a couple out a, there that, that is a are tough. a little bit biased. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it can be tough. Yeah. It really can be. So uh, particularly the finals and doing the grand – I've done the Richmond grand finals and uh, particularly 2017. I, I actually didn't say much that day because it was just – Timmy Watson was sitting next to me on the boundary. And if you listen back to the call, I didn't add much. I shouldn't have got a paycheck that day because <laughs> I just I didn't say much at all. And I think it was because I, clearly I wanted Richmond yeah. to win desperately. You know, the drought breaker, I, I hadn't seen any success in my time as a fan. So You had every right to, to so have just, that day. So yeah. I really did just turn up and watch the game that day. As yeah. a fan. Yeah, yeah. I did. Has it ever slipped out? Ever like did something come to your mind did, where yeah, you've, I, I, you've accidentally barracked or I did. There was a, a game in Adelaide in in two thousand. Which year was it? Richmond needed to win the last nine or ten games of the year to make finals. They couldn't afford to lose one game. Yeah, right. I think they were three and nine, right, or or two and two and nine or something like that. And they had to win ten ten or eleven games in a row to play finals and they got on a run and they did it. Yeah. But towards the end of that year, they played a game in Adelaide and Dustin Martin was one out inside 50 and he worked his opponent under the ball as we know Dustin can do, yeah. picked it up, ran in, bounced, kicked a goal and it, you knew that that goal was the sealer. There wasn't long to go and we've got a mute button in the commentary box, right? And I've gone to press the mute button because I went... Tss. <laughs> and I didn't press the right button. Oh, no, Richo. <laughs> and it went to air. And I got, who, who was commentating that day? I got smashed on Twitter. Well, it would have been, would have been Bruce McAvaney. Yeah. I think Dennis was still commentating then. Oh, so, oh, gosh. It'd be hard not to. So that day I, I mucked up and there were plenty of Adelaide Crows supporters who heard it and said Richardson's barracking on air. So Was Bruce forgiving? That was – I don't even know if they even noticed. Yeah. You know, but I knew. See, I yeah. think you could be forgiven for that. I mean, well, I, I think I we all knew love that it I'd when... done it and people at home picked up on it. So, anyway. What was it like, uh, I guess, commentating alongside some of those names? I mean, you got to play with some big players. You probably now get to commentate with the biggest names, you know, that have ever been on AFL commentary. Uh, look, I guess early days, you know, working – with Bruce and Dennis because, you know, my entire career they were commentating games that I was playing in. So, And they were the iconic callers. Mm. I think you could 
pretty much in my time following footy, they're the two biggest callers yeah. the game has seen. I mean, there were others obviously before that that were iconic, but Dennis and Bruce are the two. So the, to then get to work with them, it was pretty daunting, to be honest. I mean, when I first started, you, you, you basically – you don't have a lot of training. It's just, you know, they throw you in front of the camera and see how you go, yeah, sink or yeah. swim, right? Jeez. The first probably couple of years working with those guys, it was quite daunting because they're so good at what they're doing. They're such pros at, at what they're doing. And I was learning on the job. So you didn't want to make a mistake and you didn't want to – bring the broadcast down because you weren't as good as, as what those guys are and you never were going to be as good as them. But I, I did find myself as nervous broadcasting with them as any game of footy and not because of anything they did, yeah. just because I was in a bit of awe of what that achieved and, and what, yeah. they, what they did. What we hear a lot of too is that players that come out of the game and go straight into the media, they have this sort of conundrum where they don't want to be too hard on a player because they yeah. understand how it feels. But then if you're not being controversial, you're not. there's a fine line between... I think my biggest advice to any player coming into the media is just be yourself. Yeah. I mean, if you start being someone that you're not, I, I, I think people at home know that. Yeah. I mean, so, and you've got to be true to yourself as well. That, so that's the advice I got off some past players when I first started. Just be yourself. Yep. You know, and I think if you be yourself, people, even the players know. If, if you're fair but you're being yourself, I think players know when, when a little bit of criticism is warranted. Mm. And when I say criticism, you just point out something they could have done or, or mm. something they could have done better. But, but I don't think try and create something that's yeah. not there either. Don't try and be a shock sort of jock type yeah. of situation. Yeah. I just try and be myself. And look, I, I'd probably still try and see things on the side of the player probably more because mm. I know how hard the game is to yeah. play. I think you've got to remember that. It's such a hard game to mm. play. You hear stories about how some of these commentators, there might be a young person coming through and they, and they actually are so giving to the new person. So they will actually make you sound like the expert. I think I heard Hamish McLaughlin talk on a podcast called The Imperfects with yeah. Hugh Van Kolenberg and he shared a story about Bruce around they were doing the tennis and Bruce said to him, mate, Leighton Hewitt's never lost. I can't remember the specific stat, yeah. but on air he goes, Hamish, you just told me that Leighton Hewitt, this stat, and he, but it was Bruce that told Hamish that stat? No, 100%. I mean, I, I've worked with quite a few guys now in the, uh, in the media, and they're all great. I mean, I've got along with everyone. I mean, I've enjoyed everyone that I've, that I've worked with, but that, that would happen regularly with Bruce. He would come in to the commentary box on a, a Friday night at the MCG, and, you know, I might be talking about the, the Collingwood forward line, and... and Bruce would come up and say, hey, Maddie, down on the boundary line tonight, I might come down to you about Jamie Elliott, right? And and then he'll give you a stat or something about Jamie Elliott and he says, I reckon you should say this, you know? And it's something that he has researched, right? But then he's given it to me to use. Well, that's I mean, amazing. He's one of a kind. I mean, yeah. I'm... I'm not, it's not disparaging to anyone else to say that most other guys, if you go and do your research during the week and you write a few things down, you're probably keeping them for yourself to oh, say, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas Bruce would write things down but then give them to the rest of the team because he wants the team to be better. Yeah. Um, so I'm not surprised Hamish has that same story, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And How that did, happens quite regularly that's with him. It did, yeah. How did you go back in the day when you were playing? How did you go with criticism in the, um, in the papers, for instance, Firstly, yeah. did you read it? And if you did, how did, was it motivating? Did it piss you off? How did you go uh, about it? Well, firstly, when players say they don't read or hear yeah. things, mostly they're telling a fib. Yeah. Because yeah. I think they do. And it's impossible now with, with the world of social media to probably to not see that feedback. So, yeah, I, I went too far with it. I mean, I used to log on to fan forums and read everything. Really? Right? Yeah. 
Read everything. The real nuffy kind of. Yeah. 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 I'd, <laughs> get on, footy. I'd get on Big Footy and have a look wow. at what was saying. But really? I did it. I did it for a bit of positive affirmation at times. Okay. Cool. You know, there's no point logging on after you've had a good game if you're not going to log on after you've had a bad yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. And I found myself doing that too much and worrying about what too many people said. Uh, probably wasn't until my late twenties that I realised that it wasn't. It just wasn't helping. It wasn't good for my mental state. It wasn't good for my game preparation. So. Probably worked out later in my career. Just worry about what your teammates and coach yeah. think. Yeah. And don't worry about what Johnny Smith said on Big Footy or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or what Mike Sheehan or whoever it is, Caroline Wilson, whatever they're writing in The Age or The Herald Sun. So um, I tried to ignore it more as my career went on. But I admit early, not early, two-thirds of my career I, I looked at too much probably. Yeah, okay. Probably just – it yeah, motivated me at times, but it probably flattened me out at times as well. So were you ready at pre-season for Mike Sheen's top 50, you know, where you'd rank in that? <laughs> I wasn't happy where I was most times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. So we're – like obviously we love a bit of PlayStation. We only play FIFA majority of the time. But did you do special comments on an AFL game at all? I did. I did. How was that one, experience? That was – it was hard work because you had to go in and just – it was probably three days' work in a studio and you just wow. had to repeat certain words and phrases and sentences and numbers over and over and over and over again so that they had everything logged in to the game. I mean, I don't know how they put it all together. It's phenomenal what these guys can do creating video games. But it was a, a long process yeah. and it felt – very unnatural. Were you there with like Dennis or no? Oh. So Dennis, oh. Dennis had recorded all his lines in oh, Perth wow. in his own studio, and then I had to go in and record the special comments um, <laughs> in another studio. Yeah. So you're sort of trying to make repeat these lines and sound enthusiastic, and I don't. I think I think I sounded shit out. <laughs> well, we we bought it, mate. So and yeah. I've had many people say, "Really, how yeah. poor it was." Oh, really? But oh. Ev- when you when you watch it and you play it, everyone sounds that way. It's very robotic. It is robotic, wouldn't that? Yeah, that's and what makes it so because good. Because you're piecing. They're obviously piecing words yeah. together. That you've said one word the yeah. day before, something else that next day, and yeah. So it is a bit robotic. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's got better. That was quite a while ago now. We're waiting for EA to make one. <laughs> yeah, that's but, Doss's big dream. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned Nathan Brown earlier, and I'm really interested to hear your relationship with him because he's quite vocal in the media now. And I recently heard him say that you two used to get into some pretty big dust ups on and off the field, just you know, just because of the passion of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, just really interested to hear your relationship with him. Oh, great. We we work together every week now and we're really good mates. We're doing a charity walk together in Western Australia in a few weeks' time in November, which is going to be fun. Yeah, look, I was wrapped when we first got him to Richmond. He was coming off probably two All-Australian years at the Dogs. You'd know, you'd yeah. know that. He was a f- phenomenal player. He, he could go through the midfield. And I think him breaking his leg has sort of taken a little bit away from how good he was yeah. as a player. I don't think people quite understand how good he was there for for two or three years, Nathan. He was twice All-Australian, kicked over 50 goals as a small four, but he could roll through the midfield and get, you know, 25 to 30 touches. Mm. We know how valuable those mid-forwards are now, yeah. and he was as good as any of them. So, yeah, loved playing with him. He was silky skilled. He could do anything. Um, he was a match winner, and he was he was competitive and he was driven. So, yeah, we had a few dust-ups at training <laughs> at times because – you know, even little handball games at training, you know, you want to win and uh, we found ourselves at each other's throats a little bit, but it was only because we both wanted to yeah. be good and yeah. achieve things. Uh, I was just shattered when he broke his leg because I think... You are flying I'm, that year, I think you? if I'm correct, we were seven and two 
going into the round 10 game against Melbourne where he broke his leg at yeah. whatever it was called back then. It was, I don't know, Marvel. Con- was it uh, Marvel? Continental, was it? Not Continental. Colonial. Colonial, Colonial yeah. Continental. <laughs> Could have been. It's had a few names. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a horrific night. Oh, and yeah. it was off the back of Brownie. I reckon he, he had 33 goals at that point. As I said, he was going through the midfield. And I, I had 30-something goals as well. I think we were second and third in the Coleman wow. at the time. Together? Together. Wow. And, you know, we were seven and two. We were flying. And then when he broke his leg, it, obviously we're all shattered. Flattened us out for a few weeks. We lost a few games and we never recovered. We didn't play finals. From seven and two, we didn't play finals. Wow. So Was that Terry Wallace then? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was. Uh, yep. That would have been Terry's – I think it was Terry's first year actually. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I was shattered because I think, you know, we would have built on that throughout the rest of that year and who knows what could have happened after that. So, you know, he just – he never probably quite got back to where he wanted to. Yeah. He had complications with that broken leg. But he could do everything, kick left and right. He was a good mark for his size. He could take a mark one-on-one. Yeah, very disappointing that was. Yeah. Yeah, he was a – well, I remember when you said the All-Australian, he, he was an absolute jet at the dogs yeah. and he was a kid. Yeah. You know, because we obviously – Hutto, Paul Hudson played in the other – Ford flank or the other Ford pocket. I think the two of them made all Australian one year together. I reckon we 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 look back now and we reckon that we bought the bad karma on ourselves because the weekend before that game on the the Friday night game we had a social night on the Saturday night. We probably shouldn't have been having a drink anyway. It was only a six day break, I reckon. <laughs> but things were different back yeah, then. Yeah, of course, a little bit. And you know we had a few drinks and we were walking and the whole team was there and we we're walking from one venue to the next. And we started pumping each other up. People were calling us Batman and Robin in the media and, you know, I was Batman, he was Robin. Was, we, was this when he was – I heard this story that he was on a table one night, like absolutely telling everyone, I'm going to yeah. win the brown low, we're going to win the flag. Well, this is, the, is this that, the, probably this is the story. Oh, so right. we're walking from one <laughs> bar to the next and we're talking about how big Gotham City is starting to become. <laughs> and, you know, we were, as I said, I think we were second and third in the, the Coleman and we're telling our teammates that, you know, Brownie was going to win the brown low. I was going to win the Coleman. We were going to win the flag, you know, and we were talking it up a bit. And it was all in good fun. Of course. But then he breaks his leg on the Friday night. Oh, man. And we think it was the footy gods, you know, telling us to pull our heads in. Were you playing in that famous game? I can't remember what year it was when the scoreboard caught a lot. No, I was was out injured. That was the last game of 1999, it was, at the MCG Richmond and Carlton. Yeah, that was was bizarre. Yeah, were you there? The players were on the ground pretty sure in the warm-up at that point when it when it went up we yeah. were sitting in the southern stand when the grandstand went up and the game went ahead the game went ahead but the players went off the ground back into the change rooms and i reckon they were in there a good 45 minutes yeah, wow. to an hour there was talk that the game was going to be delayed and played over the weekend um Jeez, yeah that. but they they got the fire out and the game yeah. went ahead God, but extraordinary. it was bizarre yeah i was just shattered it was the last game of the year and we had a big day planned the next day we weren't playing finals and i thought i'm oh, gonna have to put off tomorrow yeah oh, yeah i was that injured oh, my year was over anyway so ready i was to ready, ready to have a bit of a party i guess what is the best footy trip you've been on is there anything that stands out that's memorable to you Probably my first big footy trip. We went to America in 1996 and it was the first time I'd been to America. You needed to be 21 over there, clearly, to go out and and drink and do all those sorts of things. And I was 21, so I was pretty excited to get over there. Heard a lot about the States, you know, obviously with our culture taking so much out of theirs. So you would have done a lot of damage. We had 21 (laughs) days in America. We went to New York. We went to New Orleans. We went to Dallas. We went to San Francisco. Las Vegas, and then finished off in Los Angeles. It was a big 
three weeks, I'll tell you. It Did was you make good. the most of the accent? Your well, we were all young, yeah. young guys. We had a we had a good time. But we <laughs> we had about six nights in Las Vegas and in hindsight now you probably only need two or three nights. Oh, yeah. there. You you've got no soul left after three I've nights. I've been twice and I've only managed yeah. forty eight hours both times. Nah, so that was my first big sort of footy trip. But it wasn't just all partying. We we're there for twenty one days, so we yeah. had a good look around and a a lot of sites and all that sort of stuff yeah that was one Bali was always great fun because it was close and yep. you mm. know the warm weather and just that relaxed environment over yeah. there that was always fun yeah what was Danny Foley like as a coach and the impact he great. had on you yeah we missed Danny I mean I've, yeah. he was my coach but then I worked with him and did a lot of stuff with him out outside of um, you know the footy world just doing other things so yeah, Danny was great. I mean, he came across from Collingwood where he was an assistant coach there under Tony Shaw. He came across in 2000. He was still young, you know. He would have only been in his late 30s. Wow. You know, he would have been 38, 39. Still really fit and competitive. Danny was one of the most competitive guys you could get. And the first thing that struck me with him in the first preseason that he was doing a lot of the running with us, doing a lot of the ball work with us. So we loved that. And, you know, you created a real connection with him straight away. You know, he, he bought a game plan with him that we all bought into. Uh, footy was a little bit simpler then. The game plan wasn't complicated, but we all knew what we were doing at any given stage and we were all on the same page with it. And it, The first year with him, we just missed the finals, but the next year in 2001, it, it really clicked. You know, we ended up playing in that prelim final up in Brisbane. And I, I just he, he just connected the whole group. It wasn't just the players. It was, you know, he got Anita, his wife, you know, she really got the girls together and the club just become a really fun place to be, not mm. just for us, but for players, partners and girlfriends. And yeah, and that we hear this word connection now all the time, don't we? And looking back, I think Danny was a little bit ahead of his time. He wasn't afraid to be emotional in front of the players. Like quite often he would get emotional. That was the first time I'd seen a coach do that. Now we know it's quite common. You know, we encourage guys to open up and, and be vulnerable and Danny encouraged that back in the early 2000s. So I look back now and go, Gee, shit, he was ahead of his time with that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, the next few years we, we didn't quite, you know, do what we wanted to do. But we had good fun under Danny. It was a fun environment. We worked hard and, yeah, I, I really enjoyed him as a coach. Mm. You mentioned the vulnerable stuff. So I'm interested to hear you said he's ahead of his time. So we've heard Richmond talk about the Triple H yeah. in recent years. What kind of things was he doing that provoked the vulnerability amongst the group? Oh, probably just by not being not being afraid himself to get up there and, and show his emotion and be vulnerable about about certain things that yeah. that were happening within the group and you know in his own life as well. So you know when you see a coach do that, it, it makes you open up as well. So we probably didn't quite understand it as well as what they do now. We weren't. He probably wasn't even doing it deliberately, yeah. but it was just who he was. He was being real was probably the word I'm looking for. He's just being yeah. himself in front of the group. And he was just a funny guy. Even working in the media with him, you know, he would work for SEN on a Sunday and I worked for 3AW. And, you know, at half time you'd go out and get a, a pie or whatever and something to eat and you'd bump into Spud. I don't think there was one single time that I didn't walk away from talking to Danny without, you know, laughing and tears in my eyes. He just, just cracked you up every time you saw him. So he made you feel good and... Yeah, he sorely missed. Is that under the pump story true? Hundred percent yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you it's, it's for those that haven't heard it? Yeah, if we'll, I'll give you the quick version. In Danny's last year, we were struggling. Right, we weren't going well, and you know the the press were onto it. They knew that something was happening at board level. You know, there's a lot of rumours. Danny, you know, he was in his fifth year. You know, and we were going that way. We were going down. We weren't going up. Had a few bad losses. We got to training 
on a Monday to have our game review meeting. And as you drove into the car park, all the TV studios had their, you know, OB vans there, you know, with the big aerials yeah. that mm. pop up. So all the OB vans were there and your Tom Browns, it wasn't Tom Brown, but yeah. the doorstop sort of type journalism was there, you know, and all the players were getting asked if Danny was going to survive. Are you hearing anything about Danny losing his job? And no comment, no comment. So, you know, he was under severe pressure and he knew it, we knew it. So we get into the team meeting up in the Graham Richmond room, which was upstairs at uh, Punt Road under the old grandstand. And we're all sitting down waiting for the team meeting. And it wasn't going to be a good team meeting. We'd been flogged. So you're sitting there thinking in your mind, gee, I hope he doesn't show that edit or is he going to show this edit? Anyway, Danny was always punctual. I mean, we had this thing, Tiger time, you had to be on time. In fact, be, be early. So we're all sitting there, everyone was on time and no sign of Danny. And then he eventually walked in about 20 minutes late. You know, a lot of players had their head down. You didn't yeah. want to make eye contact because <laughs> you knew you were going to get a good spray. And back then, you know, it was a bit of the old school philosophy where you yeah. still got sprayed. So you didn't want to make eye contact. So a lot of us didn't notice that Danny had walked in with the compressor that you put the air into the footballs with, right? <laughs> anyway, he got up the front and he puts the compressor down next to him and he's looking at us and we're waiting for him to say something. And then pretty quietly he goes... Boys, and as he said that, he's lifted up the compressor and he's holding it up above his head. <laughs> he goes, what am I? And a couple of the guys down the front, like I was down the back, I was too smart, you know. Yeah, yeah. Get down the well back. Well done, avoid the spit. Yeah, I'm just a veteran by that point. <laughs> get down the back and avoid making too much eye contact. Anyway, he's held it up and the kids, have got, <laughs> kids at the front have gone, oh, no, Danny, what are you? And he said, boys, what am I? <laughs> And again, I think one of the young kids goes, I don't know, Danny, what are you? And he goes, I'm under the bloody pump. <laughs> and he's got the compressor up here. And, and it's 100% true. And we all just, and at least that was Danny to a T. That's so funny. We all burst out laughing. It. And Have you heard that before, Don? I don't think I have. Really? And, I don't think I have. And he got the ass that week. Oh. He was under the pump, all right. Oh, God. That's oh, hilarious. But that was Danny. He broke the ice with a bit of humour, you know, because yeah. it was a tense, very tense environment. He was very yeah. close to Doss's family. Yeah, well, obviously, like, Dad, and he worked a lot with you and a lot yeah. with Spud and a lot of others, like, Plough. He did. He worked with your dad a lot. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget one time. So we actually, like, I actually jumped into the business after yeah. we sold it, and I was actually looking after our guest speaking stuff. And Spud was my first gig. Yeah. And it was Spud and Razor Ray, and they were out in Packingham somewhere, and I had to go out there and just make sure it all ran smoothly. And I'd met Spud a couple of times because I'd worked at the Saints and he was doing a bit of coaching there. And so and he knew of me. And so go out to the gig. The gig goes super. Like it was, yeah. You had everyone in the palm of his hand as, as he always did. And he goes, was that all good? Was that all good? And I'm like, yeah, it was perfect, mate. I'm on the way home and I'm pulling into my driveway and Spud rang me. And I was like, oh, I hope he's all right. And he rang me and he goes, mate, I just wanted to just say well done, like, you know, you're taking after your dad, you're going to be brilliant at this, so on and so on. I hope it all went well. Yeah. And I was like, mate, th and I walked away. I couldn't stop yeah. talking about it for three weeks, yeah. you know. Well, not many. I doubt many other guys would have probably done nah. that, you know. And, yeah. and it, well, I think it was only a few months later, yeah. you know. So yeah. for me, that was like mm. huge for me, that yeah. moment. But, yeah, and, and Plough as well, you know. I, I, what was he like as a coach? I, there's that famous video of the doggies and, you yeah. know, I'll spew up. Did, was he anything like that? Yeah, I mean, Plough could be very, very intense. Well, I think the thing with Terry was probably in the late 90s, he was a real innovative coach. You know, yeah. he, could, he could come up with – whereas footy now, 
is pretty much play teams pretty much play the way they play each week and they back themselves in right yeah. to be mm. better than the opposition with their structure. Whereas Terry was a really good coach at counteracting a, a tactic from the opposition. And he, he did that quite often. I mean, that Essendon team that he was able to defeat, you know, their only defeat in the season yeah. when he was coaching the Doggies, you know, that was Terry with a tactic that he came the up flood. with. The flood. Didn't he start the flood? Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, so he could be very innovative, Terry. Look, he was great for me. I played my most consistent footy under him. Um, I knew what he wanted out of me. His message was, was clear. You know, and he probably gave me a new lease of life late in my career, you know, changing positions and moving up onto the wing. Yeah. And I was probably cooked as a forward. I'd lost my leg speed. I couldn't get off my opponent. So he moved me up onto the wing because we had Jack at the club. Jack Rewald yeah. had just started. So, you know, that gave me a bit of a new lease of life and, you know, I was able to enjoy the sort of last 25 games of my career yeah. doing that. So, yeah, I we're, enjoyed it. We're really interested in that move as well, that position move. So what did you have to do to make that happen in terms of your body and training? Uh, well, I was generally had good aerobic fitness anyway. That was probably my strength as a as a key forward that I had good a good aerobic fitness base so I knew that I had the aerobic base to go and play up the ground yeah. that wasn't going to be a concern it was just could I play the position I've yeah. never played there play you hear them say it all the time now play your role well I'm like shit I don't know this role I mean yeah. what do you do in the wing I yeah played 16 years as a forward so Look, I went up there and I found that it was if you've got good aerobic base and you can cover the ground, you're probably going to be able to play okay on the yeah. wing. And it, it worked out well because you don't have someone on you the whole time. When you're playing in the forward line, back in my day, it was arm yeah. across and one-on-one, right? So I found that up on the wing, you got a bit of freedom and, yeah, I enjoyed it because, as I said, I'd lost my leg speed, so I was struggling to get the ball in the forward line. Yeah. What, what kind of times were you running do you remember in terms of uh, my best ever time around the tan was 1301 oh. which is for someone my size is a good time yeah. for a footballer i mean craig mottram did it in 1019 or something but i mean he's out. an olympic uh, <laughs> yeah that's a big runner <laughs> footballers are a little bit heavier uh so yeah 1301 was my best time around the tan that's quick what about the uh the, have you got a pre like a pre-season story like something just crazy like a training the craziest thing you've ever done during pre-season? Well, the first night I started at Richmond, we did a hunt the old 100-100s oh. on a minute, which was oh, tough. That's brutal. At Old Scotch Oval, which was right near Rod Laver Arena now. I reckon John Kane Arena's the yeah. there. There yeah. used to be an oval there. And for, we couldn't train on Punt Road Oval because the Richmond Cricket Club was still playing there. and you know, So we had to tr- find places to train. But I remember I, got, I signed up under the father and son rule before the draft, you could just sign up then. The father-son rule was different. So I knew I was coming to Richmond before the draft. I moved over before the draft. I went to the grand final between Geelong and West Coast. I went to the Richmond breakfast and our new coach, John Northey, was there. He'd just taken over. And I was introduced to John. John knew my dad. My dad was there. They'd played together. So we had a good chat. And he said, well, when you, when you get back to Tassie, I had a few weeks back in Tassie before I was moving back permanently. He said, you want to get to work and get training. He said, we're, first night, we're going to do the 100 hundreds. And I'm like, what's, what's that? <laughs> so it was 100 metre strides, right, on a minute. So yeah, you generally did them in about 15 or 16, yep. I guess, 17 at the most. Then you had your 40 seconds off. So it was hard work. Oh, yeah. A lot of guys didn't make it. And yeah, I Had, got through did you it. Did make it? I got through it, but gee, it was challenging. Oh. Yeah. And that was my very first training night at Richmond. 
Wow. I've done that once, but we had breaks in between yeah. each 25 or something. Yeah. But, oh, that was, oh, but we yeah. weren't running at Richo's time. It was, quite a, um, it was quite a thing back then, the 100 hundreds. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think Melbourne did it a couple of years ago, didn't they? Well, yeah. I, was, I remember they were doing this thing where they were running the hundreds and then they had to yeah. run – they had two ovals set up. I don't know if you saw this. They made like a little doco about it. Yeah. And they had two ovals and one of them was 100-metre sprints. Yeah. And they, they might have done 10 of them. Yeah. And then they'd cross, walk to the next oval, and then they'd have to do a kilometre. Oh, so a 1K geez. time trial, and then back, forth, yeah. back, forth, all day. I, 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 the, the most enjoyable pre-season camp I ever had was the next year in 1994. We had a big turnover of players at the end of 93. And Johnny Northey, at the end of 93, there was a footy trip planned, and he said, you're not going, right? He put his foot down as coach and said, I don't want you going. Um, you know, we were ordinary this year. We've just got to get better. We've got to create new standards. He said, but we will go away on a pre-season camp to the Gold Coast because we had a lot of new players. There was a big turnover on the list. And he said, I want you to go out at night and enjoy yourselves. But every morning we've got to meet down on Main Beach, you know, at 6.30 and we'll do some work on the beach and then we'll get into our training for the day. But at night, go out and have a beer, get to know each other. We're like, oh, cool. Yeah, that awesome. This, right? And it turned out to be a good thing because we won 12 games that year and just missed the finals by percentage. Uh, we never knew what was coming up the next morning. And we've gone out, like John told us, and we had a good <laughs> night and had some beers on one particular night. And then the next morning we get down to Main Beach at 6.30 for our training run. The training runs hadn't been too bad. It was jump in the water, a bit of work on the That's sand. Right. But this morning we get down there, and it was probably our biggest night the night before, and there was some <laughs> dusty heads oh. dusty heads walking down on no the main pun. beach. Dusty, yeah. No. So we get down there, and there's a heap of mountain bikes there, right? Oh, God. And we thought, oh, what's happening here? So main beach is right up near SeaWorld, right? Yep. One end of Surface Paradise. And we were riding the bikes from Main Beach down to Burley Heads, right, which is 14 or 15 kilometres, I think it was, which is not too bad on a mountain bike. We did that part easy. But then you had to leave the mountain bikes at Burley Heads and run all the way back up the You're beach oh, no. to Main Beach. Now, have you ever – that's a on long the stretch, right, on the beach at oh, 7.30 in the morning. And, and you're all hungover. And we're all hungover. <laughs> And I just remember starting the run at Burley and my legs were a bit heavy from the bike ride. And I just remember looking up and seeing the skyscrapers up at Surface Paradise. And every time you put your head oh, down man. and you'd run for five minutes, you'd put your head up. They were no closer. Oh. They just never got any closer, those buildings. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. So that was, an, that was another – I remember that. I was battling that morning. But, uh, I bet you were. That was, you know, it was character building and we had a pretty good year that year. Should we jump into some couple of questions we've been yeah. given to us from, uh, from the listeners? So we've got a few, Richo, but we'll, yeah. we'll just keep a couple for today. So the first one comes from Tommy Sheridan, a good friend yeah. of ours. We've been doing yeah. some work with him this year. So big shout out to Tommy Sheridan, American Aces. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he wanted us to ask you the funniest BT moment in the commentary box. Oh, jeez. I'll tell you my funniest BT moment, and it wasn't in the commentary box, but it was involving a game we did in Perth. So we flew to Perth. We did a Saturday night game, and generally we caught the red eye home, right, on a Saturday night. So after the game, we go to the lounge, and we, we all had a bit of a wind down, something to eat, and some people have a glass of wine, some people have a beer. Uh, you've probably got about an hour and a half, two hours there to fill in before you jump on the red eye plane. It's brutal, that yeah. flight. You get home, mm. and you, the next few days you're not feeling yourself. But one thing about BT is that he's pretty impatient, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a lot of little idiosyncrasies. And one of them is he has to be first on the plane, right? Okay. <laughs> has to be. 
right? And when he gets on the plane, his bag has to be directly above where he's sitting. Right? Yeah. I'm guessing this is a pointy end of the plane too. Oh, of course. <laughs> one A every time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm back in 56, <laughs> Jay. So, and his other thing is so that he's first on the plane, that means he has to get down to the gate earlier than everyone else to line up. Right, because if you want to be first on, I can't got, stand those people. You've got to be first in line. Well, this is what the bristlers like. So now we understand that. So we'll be sitting in the lounge wherever we travel, and about fifteen minutes before boarding, we see the big fella stand up and walk off, and we just laugh. Now he laughs at us, and he oh. goes down. But this particular night in Perth, up he gets, walks off, and we're like, "See you, Brian. We'll see you in about twenty-five minutes." Anyway, the big fella obviously gets down there. He Gets on the plane first, puts his boarding pass under, da-ding, walks on, bag up, he's first on the plane. About three or four more people boarded and then the machine at the gate that was boarding us all, the boarding ticket machine, something happened to it and the system malfunctioned, right? So everyone that was on the plane had to stay on the plane and everyone else, once they announced boarding, was told to go back and wait until they fixed the machine, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we go back to the lounge and we're sitting there having a beer. We're taking photos of the beers, sending them to Brian, knowing how filthy he would be oh, on the plane. Oh. So he's sitting there, an hour and a half oh. delayed. <laughs> so Brian sat there on his own for an hour and a half in oh. 1A. And when we walked back onto the plane, he just wouldn't look at us. He ignored us and just looked straight ahead. That's a classic. Tommy, you'll love that one. I guarantee if you ever see Brian at an, at an airport waiting to get on a plane, he'll be first in line. Yeah, well, I think we'll avoid him. We <laughs> saw him in a coffee shop not long ago, shook his hand. but uh, He's a great man. In fact, BT was probably when I started uh, at 3RW in the radio, he was probably the person who taught me the most. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So... This one's from Chris Delmo, who's actually a previous guest of the show. He, he loves Richmond. He's a Richmond mad. So he goes, who looks and talent combo are you taking? Lids or Nathan Brown? Ooh. Who's that from? His name's Chris Delmo. Big legacy gym. We've got to give He's got a, a gym, out. yeah. Well, Lids is rigged, definitely. Yeah. Have you oh, yeah. seen that guy with it? Oh. I mean, there's some iconic photos of yeah. him. Oh, yeah. As a player, it's they're hard to split because... Seriously, Brett Deledio was one of the most versatile players that I played with. In fact, maybe even the most versatile because he could play anywhere. He could clunk the ball. He was fast. He could kick goals. He could play midfield. could play anywhere. I'll, I will say this. For those nine games before Brownie broke his leg, I'll, I'll take his talent there. Yeah. Mm. Um, but Lids had a longer career. And so, yeah, I'll take a little bit of both there. I'm going to sit on the fence. Yeah, and then which of the three flags was your favourite? Oh, Richmond. definitely 2017. Yeah. I mean, that was, as a Nuffy Richmond supporter, as a kid, no, no real success. I remember 1980, but I was only four and a half, five years of age, so I don't really remember mm. it. I know that they won, but I didn't really know what was going on. Um, I had to wait 37 years, so to be there on the day, just unbelievable. Can you actually, can yeah. you talk about the emotion of that? Because obviously is the footage of you getting upset, and I can so relate to this because yeah. the Doggies won in 216. Yeah. And there was all this stuff going on with my old man who was sick and he passed away a couple of days after the grand final. But, like, I was the exact same. Yeah. You know, the emotion, I don't... Well, you put so much into it as a fan. You know, you're so passionate about it. And, you know, life can be hard at times, you know. You've got your challenges during the week. And at at times, going to the footy on Saturday, it's where you can just let go of things for a few hours and, you know, Mm -hmm. watch your team. And if they win, it just makes you feel better, right? Yeah, it does. So when you don't get a lot of success and then it happens after a long time, like it did for Richmond and the dogs, you know, it was just an incredible feeling. 
Uh, and my father had passed away a couple of years previous. And I, I just know that over the last four or five years of his life when he wasn't well, all he wanted to, was Richmond to be good again. Mm. And I remember thinking about him at that moment as well. Yeah. And that's when I sort of lost of course. it. Of course. Or you can yeah. relate. Yeah. yeah. Now, sort of changing tracks a little bit. Are you big on TikTok? Do you... Haven't got TikTok. Have you heard of a comedian called Cody Jones? He's sort of taken off this year. No. No, okay. I'm showing my age now. No, no, no. Don't don't worry. Instagram and Twitter's enough for me. Yeah, don't don't stress. Well, he's really taken off because he's great at impersonations. Right. Oh, sorry. Okay. (laughs) Now now we're jogged in there. I do know him, mate. Is he the guy that does the footy commentary? Yeah. Yeah, Now, he's a good friend of the show, Richard. So (laughs) we did have to get in contact with him prior. I'll so, give him one thing. It is quite funny. It well, is quite funny. Do you want to hear a little bit? Because he's, he's actually recorded a special message All for right, this podcast. So uh, <laughs> just the listeners at home might not know who's who, but we'll play it for you now. To your podcast. And I'm really enjoying it today. And guys, I love how as the year goes on, the weather actually gets better. And it makes it that much more enjoyable being out at ground level. So... <laughs> Guys, Richo, take the boys out, show them what ground level's all about and just keep an eye on it. Oh, that's good. Oh, thanks for that, I Cody. Must, I must admit, I did piss myself when I first heard it. And you know what? I've, I've now found myself. I think the first thing I heard him say was, well, down here at ground level, he's just gone down to the rooms to get checked out, I think I said. So now whenever anyone goes down to the rooms, I think about Cody. Right? There you go. Well, mate. So I'm trying to think of different – how many ways can you say that someone's gone down exactly. into the rooms I know. to get checked out? It's not, it's not, it's not your fault. It's just, it's just, every time we're watching the footy at home it's, and he goes to the game, he'll be – sometimes you're in the background and, and he'll be giving a little bit of voice you know what? Now uh, – you look how many times people go down to the rooms to get checked out. It oh, happens six, seven times oh, again. Ridiculous. Oh god. Oh god. So I've got to find new ways of saying it. Oh, well, good luck with that because it's bloody tough to do. Um, uh, anyway. oh, Richo, I just want to say thank you for your time no, today. Pleasure. Um, yeah. It's been an absolute honour to to have you on the show. No. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no. we appreciate it, mate. We've uh, it's a real big deal for us. So no. we're just grateful for your time and your honesty, and it's good to have a laugh. And hopefully you enjoyed it. But um, no, yeah, thanks. Great fun. Good luck with everything. Thanks, Richo. Cheers, Richo. Thank you. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.